Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. We have been, thank you guys. We have been working through deconstructing, oh wait, did I say that right? We've been working through deconstructing the deconstruction and today we're gonna continue with the crisis in the culture, not just in your pastor's mind. Okay, our country Canada was actually founded on Christian beliefs and principles like justice and righteousness, freedom and sacrifice, faithfulness, just to name a few. Truthfully, anyone that says differently is a historical revisionist. Um, And if you don't know what historical revisionists are, there's people that are rewriting history now to fit a different narrative than actually what happened. Uh, For instance, today, 25% of millennials believe that the Holocaust was exaggerated or actually never happened. Now, that's less than 100 years ago. Some of you might have been alive during the Holocaust. Um, But um, it did happen It was well-documented, and um, anyway, there's historical revisionists are kind of rewriting that version of history so that the generation coming up will not remember the mistakes of the past. Okay. We as a nation, though, have really departed from the legacy, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but on Parliament Hill, there's approximately 25 scriptures that are engraved in the the buildings there. There's um, 15 alone in the Peace Tower, Um, There's some in the Parliament buildings, and I believe there's some more in the Memorial Chamber um, on Parliament Hill. So 25 of the buildings that we run our government out of when they were built, or sorry, 25 scriptures were placed and engraved on the walls of the buildings of our government system when they were established up in Ottawa. Even in Windsor, Downtown, somewhere around uh, Goyuan Park, there's City Hall, Square Park, and there's that little information center. But there used to be, I, I think it's still there, but I haven't been down there in a while. It said Micah 6.8. I'll read it from New King James. It's on a bench or a little plaque, and it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? They took it down? Ah, okay, it used to be there. But see, they want to erase some of the stuff, but it was in the foundation of our city. It was in the the foundation of our country. As recently as 1982, when they had to revise and renew and improve on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms um, here for Canada, and we all work under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, but I want you to understand the preamble in 1982 was Whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Did you catch that part about founded on the principles that recognize the supremacy of God? And we know that the law in its intent, can everyone say intent, um, is, is based on basically the Ten Commandments. Most, most of the laws that we had in Canada are based on the Ten Commandments. And I've talked with lawyers about this over the years, but 
we've gotten away from the intent of the law and we have like a legal system, not a justice system anymore, but that's a different conversation. But I wanna get to this. In part two of that charter that they redid, everyone has the following fundamental freedoms. Everyone includes you and I. All persons have these freedoms. A, freedom of conscience and religion. You have the ability to worship the supreme God if you choose to do so. Freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including freedom of press and other media of communication. Freedom of peaceful assembly. That means us gathering together as a local body of believers in Ecclesia. It's peaceful. I don't see any violence happening out there. Is there any violent people out there? No? Okay. We're free to peacefully assemble and we're free to associate with who we want to associate with. In other words, you can hang out with who you want to hang out with. That is a fundamental freedom that you are granted as someone that lives in Canada. Okay? The current state of affairs in Canada is no longer consistent with these beliefs and we no longer can, are no longer considered a Christian nation or a nation that operates on Christian values and principles. The secularization of Canada was a slow fade, and it's recently escalated into a more rapidly increasing um, into a cesspool of moral depravity that we exist in today. The further any culture drifts from the centering moral principles of the Christian faith, the more we're going to see the breakdown of the family unit, which is the foundation upon which any culture or society is built. Okay, so the family unit, that structure, is the cornerstone, basically, that you're going to build a culture on or a society on. You see lawlessness is increasing more and more in the day and hour that we live in, and moral decay and corruption are taking root in our, in our own society. And not so long ago, I remember, our government lost $4.6 billion of taxpayers' money, and they don't know where it went. How do you lose $4.6 billion? Corruption. In the middle of his teaching on the end, Jesus makes a statement, Matthew 24, 12 to 14. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of money will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end will come. See, the crisis that we're experiencing in our culture today is not a surprise to God. Jesus knew long time ago that things were gonna get pretty bad out there. In fact, there was gonna be so much evil, it said some people are gonna depart from the faith because they see evil all around them, okay? The love of many will grow cold because sin will be rampant. So in churches, we as ministers are encouraged to preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. There will be a judgment, and every one of you will have an appointment with the Creator. <laughs> Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. And then it says, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching someone stands on this platform, the expectation is they're going to be correcting, rebuking, and encouraging with good teaching based on the principles of Christianity, based on the principles of the Bible. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them 
whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth and chase after myths. And we see this now um, happening in, our, in, our, in the world around us, and I'll, I'll explain in a minute. I believe somewhere along the way, personal and family prayer times began to falter. In other words, people stopped praying as individuals. They stopped praying as families. Um, pulpits, that's platforms like this, they stopped preaching the full counsel of God's word. They stopped preaching the full scriptures. They started preaching the parts that people like to hear. And the truth is, I can tell you that God wants to bless you and God wants to prosper you and God wants all kinds of good things, and he does. But there's some other side to that conversation where he talks about obedience and sacrifice and blessing others and serving others and dying to self. We have to teach both sides of it. I can't just teach you blessing and leave out the part where there's some moral responsibility that you have. The two go hand in hand. It's the full counsel of the word. But we could, we could get lots of people to come in if we just tell them happy thoughts all the time. Then people fell into the cares and the concerns of this world system and they started taking precedence over the things of God in their life. People started loving themselves and their money more than they started loving God and his creation. Sin was overlooked and eventually it became tolerated even within Christian circles. In North America in past times, so there was this digression that happened in the culture and I'm, I'm trying to kind of highlight a little bit of it without doing like an entire hour on it. But see, in North America, we've had four awakenings that we, that we talk about. There was the one with Jonathan Edwards and George Woodfield. Um, Charles Finney was instrumental in the second great awakening and Dwight Moody in the third. And then we had the fourth one in the 1960s and 70s before some of you were born. Um, and that was basically the Jesus movement. Um, not too long ago, they made a movie called The Jesus Revolution. I don't know if you had a chance to, to watch it. It was the Greg Laurie story. Uh, they did a good job of showing the goodness of God and how God was ministering to people and bringing people back to himself in the middle of the sexual revolution where the culture was going crazy. Um, unfortunately, the church as a whole has been failing to represent Jesus the Bible talks about today. So in other words, while there was this movement back towards Christ in the 60s and 70s and the charismatic movement came out of that and some of the, but but what happened is as a whole the church world has now started shifting back towards and and we're not maybe not us here but the church as a whole I find is not necessarily representing Jesus well and we're a fragmented people the body of Christ uh, judgment flows off the lips of people who claim to represent Christ but are not operating in his character. So you see these people that claim to be Christians, but they have lots of judgment without mercy and lots of, lots of words to say to sinners without love. And, and you know, it, it's very different to say, hey, you know what? Did you know that God loves you and has a plan for your life? And he really made a way for you to be forgiven of your sins as opposed to you sinner, you're going to hell. And if you don't change your, you know, like, it's, it's, it's sometimes in how well-meaning Christians present things. And sometimes we do this in frustration or for lack of education or lack of knowledge, but people say horrible things to other people sometimes. 
I mean, I've even heard people come and say, well, is it true that God hates me because, of, and I'm like, well, no, God loves you. That's why he sent Jesus to die for you. He punished his own son on the cross. He's not gonna wanna punish you. Yeah, there's consequence for your choices in life that you have to walk out. But oftentimes those are self-inflicted, not God-inflicted. In 2 Peter chapter three, I'll read verse 14 to 18 in the Amplified. So beloved, since you're looking forward to these things, be diligent and make every effort to be found by him at his return, spotless and blameless in peace. That is inwardly calm with a sense of spiritual well-being and confidence, having lived a life of obedience to him. And consider the patience of our Lord, his delay in judging and avenging wrongs. As salvation, that is, allowing time for more to be saved just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him by God, speaking about these things as he does in all of his letters in which there are some things, I want you to catch this part. There are some things that are difficult to understand which the untaught and unstable who have fallen into error twist and misinterpret, just as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. That tells me something. There's some concepts that are harder to understand in Christianity than others. And sometimes people, they twist the scriptures to fit their own narrative or their own belief system or to justify their own wrong behavior. And, and you know, one of the things that we encounter from time to time, uh, among many other things that we encounter, <laughs> How many know that foundationally God created man and woman in his image? Men, women, together they represent the image of God. He started with Adam and said, oh, he needs a friend. So he took some of what was in Adam and he put it in Eve. And the two of them together represent the image of God here on earth. And we're going to develop this in a few more weeks. The image bearers. In the cultures of the ancient times, if you heard me say that, in ancient times, women were often considered only a possession or a property that could be traded, bartered with, given away at will, gifted, okay? Women didn't have rights. In fact, even in North America for a time, women couldn't even own property. It wasn't until, what's that? Or vote, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until Christianity came to planet Earth that it really started giving women rights, okay? And before God, men and women are equal. Can everyone say equal? equal. We're all equal before Jesus at the foot of the cross. I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. Men and women stand with equal authority and power at the foot of the cross. I understand that there's a principle of headship in the marriage covenant. I understand the principle of headship. But I don't see anywhere in the biblical narrative or the model, including the New Testament scriptures that talk about people like Priscilla and Aquila that ministered, that says that women are not allowed to um, stand and teach on a platform. There's one off-the-cuff comment that one guy makes, Paul, and he's addressing a specific situation in the church, and it seems that it was a, a local problem that they were having a problem with. But 
the truth is, if I'm standing up here and my wife is sitting over there and she has a question about something I just said in the middle of the service, is probably the best time for us not to have that conversation. Think about it. I'm up here, we're talking, and all of a sudden, hey, what about this? <laughs> kind of disrupts the flow of what's happening. So sometimes we take one thing out of its necessarily world and we make a, a doctrine out of it because it makes us feel good as men that women are supposed to submit to us. Yeah, but if you just read the rest of the scripture, it says, submit to one another in love. So, wait a second. There is a submission in the marriage covenant. I get that. But there's also a mutual submission to one another that God talks about. And as we submit to one another, we ultimately submit to him. Okay? But we take these teachings and we put people in bondage or we put limitations on an entire half of the human race for what? So this is why I'm talking about what happens is, and yeah, there's some educated people that come to the wrong conclusion on this, but the truth is if you look at the historical record throughout the scriptures and how God has always interacted with humans, because keep in mind, God deals with you and I on the basis of the current covenant that he has enacted with us, which is the new covenant. In Genesis, there was a covenant in the Garden of Eden, the Edenic covenant. And then a little later, they made a covenant with Noah. And then a guy named Abraham came along and there was a covenant with Abraham. And then there was a covenant with Moses and the people and the 10 commandments and the 682 laws of the old covenant. There was the old, God always interacted with people based on the covenant that was in place at the time. Then there was the Davidic covenant and then Jesus came and he launched the new covenant. So sometimes when you're looking back through the scriptures, you have to remember God's interactions with humans are always on the basis of the covenant that was enacted at the time. And if you don't understand that, some of the things that happened in the old covenant, like when, uh, what was his name? Uzzah touched the ark and God killed him instantly because he wasn't supposed to, Uzziah touched the ark and God killed him instantly. You go, oh, why will God do that? Because he knew better than to do that. <laughs> they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Uh, David Lamb explains it this way. Gentlemen, have you ever in your lifetime asked a young lady to go on a date with you? Yes, Larry, yes. Did you ask Lady Jean here to go on a date with you at some point? So the first time that you took her out with your shiny new car, did you go pick her up at the door and shake hands with her father and then bring her out and then open the trunk and shove her in the trunk to take her on the date? I saw a meme. It said, dogs love you more than your wife does. And you know how you know? You lock them both in the trunk for an hour and see who's happier to see you when they get out. I am not going to try that. <laughs> My point is, that would be very dishonoring of you to shove her in the trunk to go on a date. Okay. 
But essentially, when Israel put God on a cart that was being driven by these oxen, they were dishonoring God because he said, my presence is to be carried by the priests. And he gave them very strict, under the covenant, instructions on how they were supposed to move the Ark of the Covenant. And they didn't comply with what God asked. So the nation was already disobeying God. And then the guy who knew better, who knew this, he, was in the, he knew better, he went and broke the rule anyway, and he ended up dead. And we go, oh, how could God do that? Because that was the covenant that was enacted at the time. Aren't you glad when we come to the table in a few minutes that we don't have that same covenant in effect? In the new covenant, he killed people that lied to the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira, when they conspired to lie to God, he said, yeah, you don't get to do that no more. Different covenant. Therefore, let me warn you, beloved, knowing these things beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by error of unprincipled men who distort doctrine and fall from your own steadfastness of mind, knowledge, truth, and faith, but grow spiritually mature in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, honor, and majesty, splendor, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Titus 1.9. Talking about leaders, elders, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy word of God as it was taught him so that he will be able to give both accurate instruction and sound, reliable, error-free doctrine to refute those who contradict it by explaining their error. For there are many rebellious men who are empty talkers. I love this next one. It says just windbags and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Those Jews who insist the Gentile believers must be circumcised. And he goes with the local uh, a case of they were trying to bring them back. The Jews were trying to make the Gentiles follow the Jewish customs of the old covenant. And anyway. And then he jumps down to maybe verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But their mind and their conscience are corrupted. They profess to know God and recognize to be acquainted with him, but their actions, they deny and disown him. That is not how Christians are supposed to live. You can't profess to know God and then live a life that contradicts that you profess to know God. Can't do it. He goes on and says, they're detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good work of any kind. There's too many people that add their own twist, their own opinion to the word of God. And this has created destruction on a scale that we cannot even begin to measure. There's so many broken, hurting people that tried Christianity and they got hurt by God's people. And you know what? The Bible tells us offense will come. I get it. But sometimes we come up with these crazy things that we put on people that God doesn't put on people. We desperately need a fifth awakening. <laughs> but this is what we have to do. And I believe that this is how Christianity is going to continue to change the world. Despite the crisis in the culture where we're in moral decay and the family unit is being decimated and you're gonna see poverty and lawlessness and all kinds of things that arise as a result of this. Live a life worthy of your calling and live a lifestyle of holiness. Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. He's talking to all of us. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And I'm going to jump down to 21 now. 
since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we're all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That means when you go to sleep angry and you meditate on it all night, you wake up, you're more angry and the enemy gets a foothold in your life. So don't do that. If you're a thief, quit stealing. If you're working for someone and your time is being paid by them, then do what they've asked you to do while you're at work. Don't steal from them by not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. See, even right there, work hard, bless others. It's not work hard, bless me. God gives you resources and entrusts you with riches so you can be a blessing to others. Don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so your words will be an encouragement to the, those who hear them. So many conversations that don't need to happen. I look at people like, why? Why are you sowing discord? Why are you stirring up? To, why do you waste your energy on that? Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteed that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Then he says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all other tapes of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. In James 1, 19, understanding this, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You got a short fuse? Sit with Jesus. It says we need to be slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it is the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. I love this verse. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Three of you. And the rest of you have the ability to put yourself together like that without a mirror? But how many of you looked in the mirror and were surprised? Oh my goodness, who's that? You didn't even recognize yourself. Hopefully it wasn't one of those kind of nights. You know who you are when you look in the mirror. You don't forget what you look like. But if you look carefully in the perfect law that sets you free, if you look into God's word and you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you. See, his word comes in, and you got to look in the mirror and go, I'm a Christ follower, and I need to live according to his principles, and then you do your best to obey what he's telling you to do here. See, there's numerous verses that talk about our conduct and the way we're supposed to, it even goes on, if you claim to be religious, 
if you claim to be a Christian, a Christ follower, one who takes on the nature and character of Christ, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. You need to learn to do this. Or this. Or this. <laughs> Whatever you have to do. Control your tongue. Or your religion is, and your, you're fooling yourself if you don't control your tongue and your religion is worthless. And, and look, everyone's gonna make mistakes. Everyone's gonna fall down. It's just, you don't habitually, you need to habitually, you gotta stop doing this habitually. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's, that's what God wants us to do. We should be living this way. But you know, someone that goes out and sows gossip and sows discord and slanders others, you're not controlling your tongue. You're not building the kingdom, you're tearing down. And if you have to tear someone else down to make yourself feel better, you're doing it wrong. That's not what the scriptures teach. Matthew 5, 13, 5, sorry. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. When people see the goodness of God operating through you and come and say, oh, thank you. You know what? God has given me the ability to be a blessing. I told the single guys in grade 12 on the encounter a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, I was young once and I remember sometimes the young ladies would come around and ooh, ah, and I'd be like, look, you don't like me. You just like Jesus and me. You don't know me. You don't know me. You see me doing things that Jesus has called me to do and you like that, so fall in love with Jesus. That's what's most important. And it's important that we learn to direct the glory and the praise to him because if you wanna take it for yourself, it's not yours to share. It's his alone. Stand up with me if you could. And you know, as we prepare for communion today, I'm gonna be reading passage of scripture to us here. And I, I, I feel like Paul was so brilliant at this. You know, he, 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 earlier he had gone into, I think it was Athens and he was looking around the city and he saw this idol made to the unknown God. And then he preached one of the best messages I've ever heard about the unknown God. And then He's sitting in a cell and he's probably looking at the guard or he's sitting under house arrest wherever he was at the time. I can't remember. But in the, in the mythologies of the ancient times, it was not uncommon for a god to give a human, whether a weapon or special armor, so that they could go and defeat evil. And Paul takes this picture and he's looking at the, the guards in their armor, the Roman guards that were guarding him. And he starts discussing the armor that the creator God gives us. And in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, I'm gonna read in the Amplified. In conclusion, he says, 
Be strong in the Lord, draw your strength from him and be empowered through your union with him and in the power of his boundless might. Put on the full armor of God for his precepts are like a splendid armor of a heavily armed soldier so that you may be able to successfully stand up. Can everyone say stand up? Against all the schemes and the strategies and deceits of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers and against powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. Therefore, put on the complete armor of God so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. Having done everything that the crisis demands to stand firm in your place fully prepared, immovable, victorious. So stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the wide band of truth, personal integrity, and moral courage around your waist, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and upright heart, having strapped your feet to the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the readiness produced by the good news. Above all, lift up the protective shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray with specific requests at all times on every occasion and every season in the spirit. And with this in view, stay alert with all perseverance and petition, interceding in prayer for all God's people. And he says, pray for me that I can boldly speak as an ambassador. As we're coming to the table today, I feel that there's some of you that you've lost your, your will to fight. You're, you're struggling in your faith. You're not standing firm. There's some doubt. There's some unbelief. You're not standing up where God is telling you to. You're not obeying in the areas he's, you're challenged in this. Some of you, your hope is fading and you're, you're, you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling down. And today, I, just, I felt when I was praying on this message, at this time, I would like to invite you to come and stand here at the front as a response to God's word, that he will rekindle the hope within you. He will rekindle the faith within you. He will restore the joy of your salvation, and he will deliver you and give you the courage so that you can stand firm. So I'm going to invite you, come down if you need to be down here and stand as a point of contact. And people say, oh, I can stand in my chair. You can, but the anointing's up here at the front, and that's where you're going to see the breakthrough because you, by moving your feet, come into alignment with the promise that God has just given you and the message of hope. So there's lots of you that need to be down here right now, but some of you are being really sh resistant right now, but that's okay. So I'm gonna start praying and you come down if you need to stand down here as a point of contact because I really feel that this is the place of release for you that you're gonna get the encouragement and the hope that you need. Father, today, as a body of believers, as we come to the table with the elements in our hands, the the bread that was broken as your body was broken. And Jesus, you declare better things over our life. You've given us your promises. You've given us your word. You've given us truth. You were sacrificed on our behalf. And I thank you for the men and women here today, Lord. And I don't know what's going on in too many people's lives, but I know you know every detail, even more than they do. And for those whose hope is faded, Lord, I thank you that you're breathing life and strength and hope right now. And Lord, for those that are struggling, Lord, with doubt and unbelief or just feeling a little bit depressed and discouraged, Lord, I thank you 
that the joy of their salvation is returning right now. And Lord, for those that are discouraged by the evil that they see in the world around us and the lawlessness that's happening in this world, I thank you, Jesus, that you're giving them the moral courage to stand and to continue to stand and to stand in the armor that you have given us so that we can overcome the forces of darkness on planet Earth. And despite what's happening in the culture around us and the crisis that it's in, Lord, I thank you that you're delivering your people and you're bringing healing right now, mind, body, and spirit to your people. In Jesus' name. And Father, as we now have the cup in our hands, the, the blood of the new covenant is very powerful. And I thank you that you at the cross broke the curse off the life of your people. You break the shackles and the chains. Addictions and bondages have to go. You paid our sin debt. and We are no longer in the shame of the past, but we are in the faith for our future with you. Father, deliver your people now. Deliver everyone that's struggling with that, Lord. And I thank you for everyone that's standing firm right now against shame, against hurt, against pain, against fear, against anxiety. I thank you that your strength, God, and your courage is flowing through your people. Today, Lord, encourage, deliver, breathe life, breathe hope, and let your love flow over your people today. In Jesus' name. Well, dear family, <laughs> today again, we get to be together. And as Pastor RJ reminded us so clearly, this is a privilege. It's a privilege to stand together and to be able to worship him. And we just thank you again, Pastor RJ. My goodness, what a blessing we have to sit under this man with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the way he can use scripture to encourage us all. Thank you. Hallelujah. When I was praying about this and, you know, the culture, what is culture? Well, you know, there's many cultures even in this room, right? Many different nationalities. And many of us, if we're older, we've lived through different cultures. And so I was just saying to, Lord, to the Lord, what culture am I? And I heard the words he spoke to Moses. When Moses was trying to lead the, the Israelites out of the culture of Egypt into many other cultures, God just said, just tell them, I am. I am who I am. Brothers and sisters, we are the I am culture. The I am culture. Hallelujah. Amen. And thank you, Pastor R.J., for the words that you spoke that get us into line, that line up with the scripture to tell us how we're supposed to, to, be a, to behave. Amen. You know, we're in this world, but we're not a part of it. But it's kind of like uh, when you buy a car, you buy a car. 
You don't become a taillight. You don't become a spare tire. You don't become things in the car. You own that car. You're a possessor of that car. And that's kind of how we are with Jesus. We possess what he's given us. Amen. And you know who you are? In 1 Peter 2, 9, tells us who we are. But you are a chosen generation, Amen. a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that, that may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness yeah. into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now a people of God who had obtained no mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Hallelujah. We just need to walk in it. We just need to walk in it. We just want to invite you, if you need prayer, to come to the altar. There will be elders here that are more than willing and want to pray for you. So be sure and come if you need prayer. WCF, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Now, go, go be the church. Hallelujah.